Ed does not have his headphones on. <laughs> he was busy. Uh, Jared pointed was, at you to tell you that uh, we were ready to go, uh, and Jared was panicked when he realized that you was, did no, not know the show. I just looked at Tyler and was like, so you're going to open the show? No, I was doing some research. I was reading Australian UNLV women's basketball. Hey, they won again. Yeah, they won again. So Blew so New Mexico out. Make an excuse there that I wasn't, you know, just kind of going through Twitter. I was actually reading a story in UNLV women's basketball. This is a women's basketball town. It is a women's basketball Aces town. Aces win the title. Now they've got a even. They've got a, they've got a soup, juggernaut more super a team. team. They were a super team last year. This year they're really super. Super, super. Yeah. Uh, and the women's basketball team at UNLV can't yeah. lose. So it's a women's basketball town. I got to look at the uh, time on my laptop sometimes. Nah, overrated. There's also a <laughs> clock up there right above Jared's head. That's too. right. I forgot about that one. <laughs> ah, what are you going to do? The first bite. <laughs> it's a Friday. Does anyone want Derek Carr? The Pro Bowl, uh, the other quarterbacks in the Pro Bowl did last night with the um, uh, skills contest. He was on fire last night. He won the precision passing yeah, the precision contest. passing contest. They get they should have money on that, right? Like the winners, the, players? Get, the winners should get a little bit more money. Oh, actually, you'd be it'd be better if they bet each other. Yeah, that'd be a little just bit make more it fun. side bets, yeah, side yeah. bets on each other. Like we that'd just cool. see Trevor Lawrence and Derek Carr and Huntley come out there and say, "All right, here's my hundred dollars. I'm in." Then exchange money at the yeah. end. Yeah. That'd be great. Be more fun that way. It's like when uh, Tiger and Phil were going to play for, what, a million dollars? Is that what they Something were going like to play Something like that. For? Yeah, a million bucks. Yeah, it's way more fun when they're betting yeah. their own money, even if it's just like a hundred bucks. Yeah, he was on fire last night. Good for him. So, all right. Back in action at the facility. Dave Ziegler talked on Sirius XM radio yesterday. And here's a quote he gave. There's going to be people interested in Derek Carr. There's no doubt about that. He's been a good football player in this league for quite some time. And like I said, he's a phenomenal human being and we'll see, uh, kind of see where it goes. There's a story in the athletic this morning um, from Jeff Howe. And he basically wrote about the car situation and said, essentially, it sounds like teams aren't going to be lining up to trade for the Derek Carr contract. For now, teams appear willing to wait out the Raiders on this one referring to the February 15th deadline in which his he gets $40 million guaranteed unless the Raiders cut him, and if they cut him, he'd be a free agent, and that's what teams are apparently waiting on. Don't you think that's the smartest move by teams? Yes. If on, I'm a team, do I want to pay that, or do I want to see what I can get him for in free agency? I think if Carr hits free agency, he's getting more than $40 million guaranteed. If he goes to free agency and a team wants him to be their starting quarterback, he's getting $30 million a season or more. He's getting a four or five year contract and, and he's, and he's going to get two guaranteed? or three years of that guaranteed. Like in all honesty, if you are trading or if you are signing Derek Carr as a free agent to be your starting quarterback, you're, you're giving up close to a hundred million dollars in guaranteed money. Now, maybe there's not a market for him, after he becomes a free agent, and maybe he's got to sign a cheaper deal, but I'd be shocked. The way quarterbacks get paid, even the average ones, Derek Carr is an above-average starting quarterback, yeah. but even the average ones get paid. And so I, if I'm a team, sure, there's some advantage to it because I don't have to give up any draft capital for Carr, but I can get Carr 
basically on a one-year deal worth $33 million. And then, yes, I've got to pay him an extra $7 million for the following season, but you can cut a guy and swallow $7 million if you need to. To me, there there's value in that. If I'm, a I guess team, it depends on what the give back is, right? If what do you have to give for him? If the Raiders are out here only like it's like, hey, you have to give us a first round pick, then I understand it. If the Raiders are willing to, you know, say, oh, what about a second or something like that, then it might become worth it. And the other part of that is if Carr gets cut on February fifteenth, he's a free agent. Yeah. Uh, if you want Derek Carr, but he doesn't want you, right? not going to happen, which technically he can veto any trade right now. But before February 15th, if he doesn't get cut and you can trade for him, you're jumping ahead. You're jumping the line on those other teams if you make the trade. So there are reasons to call the Raiders and say, hey, we'd like to trade for Derek Carr, even though we know he'll be a free agent in 12 days if you cut him. We still have an interest in trading for him. But according to this story, it appears as though everybody's just going to wait. Well, and last night he uh, spoke to a bunch of reporters, and one thing he said was, I'm just not going to do it just to do it. Right. Uh, he said um, he talked to Peyton Manning, who also had been cut in the past. It just seemed like, I don't know, to me the comments seemed like he doesn't, getting cut's not a big deal to him. Like well, he he's not going to just accept any trade, just accept it. And, well, I think you know, he wants it because I think he believes that he's going to get a much more, he's going to get more guaranteed money as a free as agent, as a free agent, yeah, than what his contract will be on February fifteenth when that forty million guarantee. So, like, if I'm Carr, I I want to be cut because then I'm a free agent, I have full control over where I go, and I'm probably getting more money, getting more guaranteed money. So, if I'm Carr, I want to be cut, which again. To go back to the same thing I've been saying for a couple weeks now, it makes the most sense for the Raiders to keep him on the roster after February 15th. Right. It right. makes, because again, what are, you, what are you losing if you keep Carr on the roster? You're risking having to pay him $40 million mm-hmm. over the next two years when he's not going to play for you. But I don't believe that will happen because if you keep Carr on the roster past February 15th, the leverage flips from Derek Carr to you. Because Derek Carr has a no-trade clause right now, and Derek Carr's looking at it saying, I'll be a free agent on February 16th. If you keep him past February 15th, Carr still has the no-trade clause, but now Carr's looking around saying, oh, bleep, I'm not a free agent anymore. I don't get to choose. I have to I have to negotiate with the Raiders if I want to play in the NFL next year. You suddenly have all the leverage if you're the Raiders. I'd keep him. I I keep him past February. Keep him and trade him. Yeah, and it gives you the leverage over the other teams because right now, if the teams are looking at it saying, "Well, you're going to cut him on February 15th," why would we trade for him? Right. If I keep him, then oh, if we want Carr as our quarterback, we need a first round pick. Yeah. So I would keep him on the roster past February 15th. Um. So here's here's my question on this. We've got the story about. Dave Ziegler not giving Carr's agent permission to negotiate with other teams. We've got a story saying that teams are just going to sort of wait out the Raiders here. How serious a trade conversations do you think the Raiders have had? Because I'm getting the sense that there have not been very significant conversations about trading for Carr so far. Well, maybe the conversations have gone past because they're floating out what they want for him. So it's maybe, a, it's, like, maybe it's like, you know, let's say Indianapolis called. And the Raiders are want we want this and we want this like not even close. Yeah. We're not even going near there. And they weren't like deep, serious conversations yet. It was just ah, we can't do that. 
That's yeah. We're, like, we're not doing that. Yeah. We'll wait till you cut them. It just, I don't know. It's just the way the reporting has been. It seems like there hasn't been enough conversation about Carr getting traded from the Raiders with other teams, but maybe you're right. Maybe it's a level of, oh, they've, they've had a brief conversation and the other team just said, eh, no, thanks too much. Yeah. We'll do something else. So it's a, it's a fun situation, but I, I, I think the smartest thing for the team is to just hold him. Well, if they could trade him now, trade him now, but just hold him and trade him after that deadline. Do you think they do that? Well, the more you talk about it, the more sense it makes because they're not, he's not going to sit out two years. He's not going to not play. Right. So yeah, I mean the one thing they, the one thing they've lacked in this entire thing is leverage because of his no trade. So like you said, if they wait and they get all the leverage, that seems to make more sense. Yeah. Um, it, it doesn't appear, and like I don't know. And again, listening to Carr last night, I don't know if you can get a trade done in the next two weeks. Right. I don't think you can either. I, in all honesty, the way Carr talked about it, and he didn't say this. This is just me trying to read into what he did actually say. I don't think he's accepting any trade. I don't either. I think he's. I don't need. He went out of his way to talk about Peyton being cut, and it's not that big a deal. And if he can get cut, anyone can get cut. And I talked to him for a long time about it. And then he went to Denver, won Super Bowl. Um, He didn't. He didn't seem like a guy who wants a trade right right now. And I think there's a level of he's like, well, I'm just not going to accept anything because I'm going to. I'm not going to help them out. Right. Whereas the Raiders could just say, all right, you're on the team on February 16th, and we'll see what we do now. Because here's the other part for the Raiders. If they keep him on the roster, like they can cut him right now and it's it's gone. But if they keep him on the roster past February 15th and then trade him in February, March, or April or whatever, it's only a $5 million dead cap hit. So it's it's basically nothing, right? If they trade Carr after that February 16th deadline, there's your 15th deadline. There's no there's no real downside, right? You right. Throw, I mean, $5 million in dead cap, it's kind of nothing, right? So there's no real downside to holding on to him unless he was like, well, I'm just going to say no to every single trade you bring me and then show up to training camp, even though you have no intention of playing right. me. So, but again, neither of us can see card. I can't that. see that. So he's, he's done. Yes. Here. He's just talked about it and it's out there and they've both sides have talked about it. And he's moving on. He's, he's not going to show up to training camp. He'll be gone by then. Uh, but it, uh, every, every, Buddy's reporting on this, though, makes it seem like the Raiders are just going to cut him on February 15th, that they're not going to be able to work a trade out. February 15th is going to come around, and it's just going to be, all right, we're, we're cutting the guy, and we're getting out from his contract, and we'll let it go, which when we do a show, what day of the week is February 16th? When we do a show on February 16th, I'll be telling you how big of a mistake that is if they actually do it, because quarterbacks are assets, and if you're trading one, you you always get something for a quarterback. You always get something. And for them to basically throw that away because I don't because they're afraid Carr could just reject every single trade and not play football, I think would be foolish. So we'll see what they actually do. But I think we're I think we're two weeks away from them cutting Carr. Cutting him and just moving on from yeah, him. And throwing away any sort of return on an asset for a quarterback that somebody else is going to sign as a starter. Baker Mayfield got traded for a conditional fifth-round pick. You think they could get a fifth-round pick for Carr? I think they can get a first-round pick for yeah. Carr. I think if they held him past the deadline, I really think they'd get a first-round pick well, for Well, I Carr. mean, that's what Cleveland did with Baker. <laughs> so we'll see how it plays out. 
But uh, I'm glad Derek Carr got added to the Pro Bowl team. Yeah, I thought it was kind of cool. He had a Raiders logo had on his logo sleeve. on and down there at the uh, facility throwing balls again. I thought it was pretty. I thought it was pretty cool. He was. I'll say this: I read every quote that he gave out and uh, didn't take shots at people, but he did have, like you said, he did have some undertones in a couple of those quotes yeah. about what he's really feeling. Um, said he's going to have to write a, he'll never say what really happened unless he writes a book. What about his brothers on that podcast? They never did. Are they going to say what really happened? I don't, I think he's, <laughs> I don't know if he's toned down the brothers, but he, I think he's had a conversation with them. <laughs> Hey, knock it off. Yeah, exactly. Please, <laughs> stop talking. I'm trying to get something done here. Nobody wants to give me a new contract because, because of you guys. you guys are coming with. Exactly, because you're part of the deal. There's going to be a clause in his new deal. Your brothers cannot appear they on cannot podcasts. Speak. Exactly. <laughs> All right, coming up next here on ESPN Las Vegas, we'll get into the Golden Knights, who no longer have Mark Stone. Laker lead is 112-111. Tyrese Halliburton trying to work one-on-one over it. Blocked by Davis. We got a whistle. No, we don't. Lakers have it. What a play by AD. We we got bigger business to, to take care of, you know, in terms of trying to make it to the postseason. Um, it's unfortunate if he, if he didn't make it. I haven't looked at anything, haven't heard anything. Okay, well, good. He gets to get some rest in and, and get ready for this home push. Text Granny and Bischoff at 69187 with the word ESPN. Since Mark Stone re-injured his back on January 12th, the Golden Knights are 1-5-2. Mark Stone had back surgery a couple days ago. He is not coming back anytime Anytime soon. soon. And maybe not at all for the rest of this season. And again, they're 1-5-2 since he went out with a back injury. When the Golden Knights come back from the All-Star break, is the most important thing for Bruce Cassidy to figure out Jack Eichel's line mates? Yeah, because they got to get this guy going somehow, especially without Mark Stone. They've got to find out who best fits with this guy to get him going again because he hasn't been Jack Eichel. He hasn't been their best player. And without Mark Stone, he's supposedly their best. Even with Mark Stone, he's supposedly their best player. Let me let me ask it to you this way. When you trade for Jack Eichel and he's your highest paid player and supposed to be, you know, when they traded for him, what, one of the 10 best players in the league, whatever that number is. When Mark Stone gets hurt and Jack Eichel's line is, you know, basically Everybody. broken up. Yeah, whoever it is. Is it more on Cassidy, the coach, to find the combination? Or is it more on Jack Eichel to be the best player and make it work, to basically elevate well, whoever he plays with because he's supposed to yeah, be the best player. It's a good point. I also think Bruce Cassidy overthinks the room a lot in terms of these lines. Uh, Vegas did a story, basically sort of trying to answer the question, is Bruce Cassidy tinkering too much? And here's some numbers from it. Golden Knights have used 47 different lines this season. Uh, Phil Kessel has played on 18 different line combinations in a single game. Kessel once played on six different lines. Uh, Eichel has played with 10 different line combos, but his high for one game, he once played on seven different line combinations in a single game. I mean, more and more than I would say the former, and it's about Bruce Cassidy. If these are how many lines he's putting this guy on. But 
again, if you're the best player, and he is, is isn't it on you also to, like you said, raise your game? And no matter who you're playing with, because that's what the greatest players have done in sports, right? Right. Whether it's Brady or whoever, they have. No matter who they're playing with, they've raised the get. They've raised the level of other guys' games. Right. Never mind theirs. So here's here's what I think the the hard part to figure out with Bruce Cassidy changing the lines a lot. First off, he's not changing his lines as much as Pete DeBoer did last year. Pete DeBoer was using uh, 1.3 different line combos per game. Uh, Cassidy's at 0.92. Um, but the Golden Knights had an unbelievable injury stretch to yeah. where it was Which like, okay. played into it, obviously. Right, so we have to do something bizarre. Um, but I, I think that the real hard part to figure out when talking about Cassidy changing the line so much, is he changing the line so much because they're playing poorly? Like it is, is it's like when they were off to the 13 and two start, they were playing the same lines almost every single night. There were a couple of changes in game, but they weren't changing the lines and they didn't have any injuries when they started 13 and two. That was a big, you know, point part of that. But they weren't. He wasn't changing the lines all the time when they were playing extremely well. They haven't been very good since that thirteen and two start, and they've been awful in the last half a month. Maybe Cassidy's doing a little too much. Maybe he needs to just let these guys play a whole game or two together to get more familiar in a rhythm, whatever. But I do think part of all of the line changes is because they suck. Like I think he's looking at it, it's like we're not. We suck. We're not playing well. We're changing the lines in the second period and we're changing them for the next game. I think it's, I think there's a lot of it that's just simply the Golden Knights aren't playing well. And until they start playing well, he's going to continue to tinker. He's going to move guys around until something works. Now, again, maybe you just let it play out a little bit more. Maybe you say, here, Eichel, you're playing with these two guys. You're playing with these two guys for the next three games, no matter what happens. And then we'll reevaluate. Maybe he needs to do something like that to just figure out if, they can get comfortable with each other, but for the most part, until they start winning, Cassidy's probably justified to change. Well, which side play. do you fall on then? It's Cassidy's side, or Eichel needs to be good, no matter who he's playing with, because he's the best player. I th- okay, Eichel has to be better, no matter what, because the the real the real problem it's not that Eichel is is perf- Here's the thing: Eichel has been awful. Right, like it's not a matter of hey, we expect Eichel to be a superstar, and he's just an above-average player. No, right he's now. been bad. Eichel's been dreadful. So I think that's on Jack Eichel. Jack Eichel should be able to play with any any NHL player, and be good, and be at least an average player. Yes, where his line is at least an average line. It does he should be able to play with any Silver Knight? They should be able to call up anybody from Henderson. Play him with Jack Eichel, and they're at least Well, he's average. played with most of them. Yes. <laughs> I think that is a, a completely fair bar for Jack Eichel. We're not going to expect Jack Eichel to have the best line in hockey if Mark Stone's out. No. right? We're not expecting Eichel, Cotter, and Waugh to be one of the 10 best in hockey. But Eichel, Cotter, and Waugh, or whatever that combo is, should at least be an average line. It honestly should be above average. But the problem is he's not even average. For, since Stone's been out... Eichel's been terrible. Mm-hmm. So I think that part's on Eichel. I think it, it should not matter what Cassidy does. Eichel has to be better than he has been. Now, 
if we go through February and Eichel is playing, you know, he's his line is about average, and you're still looking around saying, well, they're still losing because they need Eichel to be a star, then maybe it's more about Cassidy and too much tinkering. But for now, I think it's fair to put more of it on Eichel just because he's been one of the worst players that they can put on there. I mean, it's not a joke. Phil Kessel's line has been better than Jack Eichel's since Mark Stone got hurt. That's not, that's not hyperbole. That's not like me making jokes about the Phil Kessel's been better than Eichel for like two weeks. That's awful. And we had him benched for months. <laughs> I was healthy scratching <laughs> like him. You're healthy scratching the guy. And now it's like, well, maybe they should healthy scratch <laughs> Jack Eichel. Maybe that makes more sense. So, I think a lot of it's on Eichel right now. And then if he starts playing better, but it's still not enough, then you might look at Cassidy and say, all right, you've you got to figure it out. you got to find who's going to work with Eichel to make him, to get him back to that star level. At least average. Right. But for now, Eichel's got to play absolutely, absolutely has to play better for this team to have any chance. And now, what what should we say the Golden Knights' chances are to go to the playoffs? I still think they're really good. I, I, I still think they're good. Theodore's back. Um, they're not going to have Mark Stone. Look, I, I'm with you. I don't think he's playing again this season. I just think two back surgeries in less than a year is too much to overcome, um, especially especially if it's on the same part of his back. If this was the same injury, that's not good. Right. Um, but I still think there's a – I'm still not – overly impressed enough with the entire Pacific to think they can't finish top three. I just, I still think they're going to go to the playoffs. So money puck, which has playoff odds gives the golden Knights an 82% chance to make the postseason. So 82% is pretty good. The interesting part of that though, they're now the fourth most likely team from the Pacific to go to the playoffs. Hit the wild card. Seattle is the highest. Edmonton second. Calgary is slightly ahead of Vegas for playoff odds so far this season. So so they don't like the Kings. They do not like the Kings. Nobody likes the Kings. Uh, Kings are actually still at 65%, so there's still a pretty decent chance they get in. Um, this is a... I think the the problem for the Golden Knights now becomes... You can fall out of the playoff race. You absolutely could end up falling out of the playoffs entirely. But it's also more about even if you get in, are you any good? Right. Right. Like if you find if you if you make the playoffs, like you said, the Pacific's not that impressive. I don't think it is either. If you make the playoffs because ah, the Pacific's not that good and like ah, Seattle won the division and and we got in as the three in the Pacific or something, are you winning a playoff series? Like is that is that ultimately what this team is? Is uh get in the playoffs and lost to Edmonton or hell lost to LA success for a team that started thirteen and two? Probably not for a team that even though they weren't good last year, for a team that internally expects to be winning the Stanley Cup, like that's what the owner expects. Probably not. I mean, if you get bounced out of the first round, that's basically the same as missing the playoffs. I mean, you did make it, but that's basically you're going to look back and view the season the same way. I think so. I don't know that they're much better than that right now. I mean, they certainly can beat LA or Seattle or even yeah. Edmonton in a playoff series. And they're in the second round and all right, see where you go from there. But it definitely does feel like a team that could easily either miss or just simply or just get, get bounced. bounced in the first round. And you look back and say, Ugh, that was kind of gross. All right. Coming up next, Ben Brown joins the show. Guess who says have a good show. Wow. He's a data scientist. I guess he's slumming. 
BFF's Ben Brown joins Grady and Bischoff on the press box. Good morning, Ben. Hey, Ben. Good morning, gentlemen. How you guys feeling? Uh, happy Friday. Good. It is a Friday. Sometimes we forget the show starting right at seven o'clock, but that's yes. okay. It's good. Sure. It's a good day. Yeah. Uh, ben, I, I I wanted to ask you: Have you looked back at your season of betting and sort of had any sort of uh, self analysis on what went well, what didn't go well, what like you would like to bet on in the future more? I definitely have. I think this is actually kind of like the perfect week for it. Obviously, I do a lot more in the off season, but I've definitely, I would say, looked at it. I do think, in some ways, like there has been a pretty big shift, um, you know, from from betting and, and approaches to betting and those sorts of things. And I actually, I would say, probably didn't do really great betting, you know, mainly spread game spreads and those sorts of things, but had a lot more success than you know player props in some of the other markets. So I think gravitating more towards that. You know, especially in future years and better, you know, allocating your bankroll or things like that is very much going to be, you know, I, I would say my focus this offseason. Is there uh so you were better with spreads than you were with actual props this year? Uh, so I was actually better with like the props. Oh, the other way around. Gotcha. Markets. Yeah, the other way around. So I, I did struggle some with uh, spreads and then also like in game specifically, I thought um, was something that I was really going to try and attack and I didn't really seem to have a ton of success doing that. So I think maybe in some ways changing or modifying my approach is definitely something I'm going to focus on this off season. I'm ready to hear you next year. Be like, yep, I'm, I'm just all in bet. Everything I have on just a random receiver to be under 49 and a half receiving yards. Right. <laughs> I mean, those are the spots. Though. I mean, I think, it wasn't for, you know, Juju Smith Schuster uh, in the latter half of the season, you know, uh, coming through for me, it would be, you know, a much different outlook for my betting bankroll. But thankfully, you know, pressing on some of those guys has definitely been, uh, the strongest bets I would say I've had this season. I have not kept track. I have to admit, props for Super Bowl. Um, all of them out yet? I would say it does seem like books are kind of continuing to add it. I know we got, um, you know, the Westgate had their big reveal, like, thir- you know, yesterday night, basically. So working through that PDF. But, yeah, a lot of the other books, especially some of the, you know, ones that aren't necessarily fully into the the Vegas market have had some props for quite some time and, and do kind of seem to continuously be adding some as well. So there is, you know, more bets than we could ever uh, probably ever make it through already at this point in time with the additional ones I would say probably still coming. Is there anything you've already bet that you're excited about? I did bet the under first half of uh, at like 24 and a half when it first came out. I, I, I thought that was a good bet. The market, I would say, especially in the game total has kind of moved against me. Um, you know, as far as like the game market and stuff, I do have, um, I do have basically, uh, some futures on the Eagles. I know that was like a talking point for us quite a bit in the off season. So kind of trying to figure out how I want to approach that. Cause I am pretty bullish. I would say on the Eagles in this particular matchup, especially if we see Patrick Mahomes, you know, I would say kind of once again, limited, um, but like if that happens then then I don't really want to like hedge or maybe even try and middle those futures. So mainly just kind of focusing on, you know, once again, the prop market, but the, the spots that I'm really waiting on, um, you, you know, like guys like Juju Smith Schuster and kind of this receiving unit for the chiefs. I, I haven't seen any props of that course. I haven't looked at it basically in like 12 or 14 hours as well. So kind of waiting on some of those numbers. Um, but I am mainly probably going to be on unders because I do kind of lean in that direction for this game. And I do think, you know, 
taking the 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 the, the sound approach, I would say, from that perspective, is probably waiting till close to the game time to lock in some of those spreads. I would say because uh, or to lock in some of those bets because I do think the numbers are probably going to move. You know, only in one direction. I would say for the Super Bowl. Uh, other than Mahomes, is there a reason you like Philly? Um, I mean, yeah, like I think the, the the Chiefs thing is basically it's like it's Mahomes versus the best team in football, and I do think the matchup specifically definitely lean in the Eagles' direction. And I think you know some of the ways in which you know a lot of the ways in which the Eagles are at their best is running the football, and I do think they have really sound matchups, especially along the. Um, uh, along the edge, basically, at the tackle position. So I don't really think Frank Clark's going to have a ton of, you know, saying or dictate in any sort of, you know, defensive run, defensive success for the Chiefs. And I also think George Klopkis as well. Both of those guys have kind of struggled. So I think if the if the Eagles can kind of get to the edge, uh, they're going to be turning out, you know, five, six, seven-yard rush plays every single time that they want to. And I think that happens, like, uh, it, it might not be enough for Mahomes to even play his best game, I would say, uh, to potentially win outright. So I, I like the Eagles from that perspective. I just do think they have you know, a much stronger team than what the Chiefs are able to put forth. So it's going to take a brilliant performance from Patrick Mahomes, I would say, uh, to probably even keep this one close from my perspective. All right. Let's look at the offseason. You, you be our bookie for a minute. You set the line or set the price here. Jeff Saturday to be the Indianapolis Colts head coach in week one. How big of a favorite is that? I mean, it's, it's unfortunate. Reading between <laughs> the lines, like, it's, it's bad. It's, it's looking like, you know, 70%, you know, getting up there quite a bit. I, you know, I, I very much don't think it's the correct side or spot, so I'd probably be betting the plus money opportunity. But, you know, it, it seems like Jim Irsay locked into his guy. Uh, I'm not quite sure why they continuously are bringing him back unless it's just to get a – a sense of the media reaction to when they actually do hire him. But um, yeah, it unfortunately looks like a pretty big favorite right now. Is Kellen Moore a big enough upgrade for the chargers for you to be interested in playing some chargers futures or Justin Herbert props before next season? I honestly, I I do think so. And I I think like, you know, his ability to actually kind of take over that offense and and maybe not fall into this rut of, you know, first down run, second down, you know, screen pass, Austin Eckler, third, third and eight, third and nine, basically ask Justin Herbert to be brilliant. If they can kind of play from ahead of the chains, which we have seen, I would say Kellen Moore, you know, at times very much maximized. I I do think the marriage or fit makes a ton of sense. So I I think if you were kind of bullish for the, uh, on the charges at the end of last season, like, Buying into them once again, I, I think it's probably very much the correct spot and very much where you know I, I'm going to at least be getting involved with, um, you know, for, from some futures perspectives once we kind of get some, some more of those markets, I would say, opening up. Are there other teams like Jacksonville and how they came on with Lawrence and his continued development, you'd say the same thing? I would say the same thing for Jacksonville. I, I also think, you, you know, the, the other side of the coin, there's obviously very much some teams that are likely due for regression, but I think if you can identify, you know, uh, you know, more up and coming teams in the NFC specifically, I know that's few and far between, but I do think those are really going to be some of the betting opportunities. So I know it's gross. I know, you know, people probably don't even want to, you know, believe that the NFC South is going to exist, but somebody is going to have to win that division. And I, and I very much think the Carolina Panthers, you know, and kind of in the way in which they finish, you know, out this season, they do still have some young core players, you know, at the skill positions, like, I think they're a team, you know, with Frank Reich, who's a guy that I've always believed in quite a bit from a coaching perspective. I think they could very quickly, you know, kind of be moving in the right direction to the point where they could very easily, I would say, challenge for that division as well. 
Would you bet uh, Purdy or Lance to get more starts at quarterback next season? That is a good good question. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with Trey Lance. I'm still a believer. I, I think he's back from the injury before, uh, and I think it's gonna probably be his job to lose. So unless he does that, uh, I could see him playing. You know, not only the majority of the snaps, but ninety plus percent of the snaps next season. So I'm going with Trey Lance. I know it's probably. Um, you know, not the most educated guess, but uh, I very much think that that's the direction that the 49ers want to go. One more Super Bowl one for me. Does this line move at all before the game? I think if it does, it's only going to move further in the Chiefs' direction, given the given the wide receiver injury situations. But we saw a lot of movement early. Uh, I think limits are basically, you know, up to the point where they're going to be. So uh, I would be pretty surprised, I would say, if we see any further line movement at this point. All right, before we let you go, uh, be our bookie again. Who should be the favorite to land Derek Carr in the offseason? <laughs> that is a good question, too. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I do think there's, like, you know, there's a weird thing that's going to obviously happen in Tampa Bay without Tom Brady. So he might that might not be the clear option, but I, I think him going to the NFC makes a lot of sense, and I do think that they have. You know, enough talent at the other positions where they might still take a chance on a you know a veteran guy that they could think they can potentially crush. And I do think Derek Carr, you know, definitely fits that bill and would make a lot of sense in Tampa Bay. So XFL minus two hundred. <laughs> that would be the bet right there. We got that coming up soon enough. So we'll have we'll definitely have to talk to handicapping of you know where the XFL is going to land here. Uh, in this com- upcoming season. So it's something I'm definitely, you know, already preparing for as well. I cannot wait for you to be telling us how the bad field at Cashman out here in Las Vegas is going to impact the spread of XFL games. It's going to be great. <laughs> He's Ben Brown from Pro Football Focus. Ben, as always, we appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, Ben. Thanks, guys. Have a great show. Oh, Ben Brown. What did we randomly give him the one week? And he just was like, yeah. Toledo. No, no, no. It was the Buffalo game. Oh, you that's always right. call them Toledo, Toledo for, some, for some, reason. some reason. The Buffalo Akron game that yes. decided UNLV's bowl. Oh, fate. that's right. That uh, One had to win, that's one had right. to lose. For we just UNLV to randomly brought it up with him. He's like, yeah, yeah, I know exactly where I'd go <laughs> yeah, with this <laughs> one. It's great. All right. Coming up next here on ESPN Las Vegas, we'll get into the Pro Bowl. A couple games ago, when dude had a meltdown and blaming the refs, and I see dudes blaming the Lyman hold all the time refs don't call it like I'll never be that guy bro you know like that is so weak to me like you're gonna get held like I'm I know I get held all the time bro you watch the Rams last drive against us bro I was getting literally tackled but I'm not gonna go and double down and go look like a little crybaby you know what I mean that's not me Graney and Bischoff are back on the press box that was Max Crosby on the podcast Bussin' with the Boys talking about Joey Bosa, who uh, threw his helmet, got called for a penalty, complained about being held in the playoff loss to the Jacksonville Jags. And maybe my memory is wrong, but I do not recall Max Crosby ever publicly complaining about the referees. So No, I don't either. I think he gets credit yeah. for saying, I am he not going to cry he, about it. I Never been in a post game where he says anything about calls. Yeah. Now, granted, he did actually complain while saying don't complain that he got held on every play against yes. the Rams, but he didn't do it right afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think he deserves credit for that. Maybe he has in the past and somebody can say, yeah, he complained about it in this random week seven game or something like that. But uh, 
Yeah, credit to Max Crosby for not complaining about getting held on every play or whatever defensive linemen think they happens to them, which is they think they get held on every play. But I also have no problem with Joey Bosa slamming his helmet down. Granted, I mean, he got called for a penalty, so maybe wait till you get to the sideline. But right. I got no problem with players showing frustration yeah, with referees when they're when they are clearly right. Like when the player is like, you absolutely when Patrick Beverly can bring the camera to the ref and say, you missed the call. He got fouled. Love that. That's phenomenal. Yep. Especially when, because uh, Bosa. Still want to know who gave him the camera. That is a good question. Um, was Bosa, did he complain about being held? He was complaining about the, the right tackle moving too quickly. Did he also complain about getting held? I'm just, on it. I just remember him slamming the yeah. helmet. Well, I remember him coming off and slamming the helmet. The, when they showed the re- the reason he slammed the helmet was the right tackle for Jacksonville was moving like a half second before the ball was snapped. And after that happened, you like can't watch an NFL game without paying attention to the tackles who all move before the ball is right. snapped. It's like, I don't know, everybody in the league is doing this and the refs are like, ah, oh, we can't tell in real time. And it's like, well, yeah, you can if you're looking for it. So I enjoyed him slamming the helmet, but. Maybe wait to get to the sideline so you don't get the personal foul that leads to the two-point conversion that ultimately leads to you losing on a last-second field goal. So, there's Max Crosby. Did you watch any of the Pro Bowl games last night? Come on. Neither did I. All right, moving on. on. <laughs> who, who? I know Derek Carp. reading all the stories about Derek Carr, I just know he was good in the precision passing. That's all I, I know. he won it for him. He did. Um, but I did not watch any dodgeball or kick-tack-toe or anything fun like that, which means... I, we finally saw Sean Payton's salary or a salary range reported from uh, Nine News in Denver. Five year deal that will pay him somewhere between 17 and $20 million Good for Sean Payton a year. If you remember, there was a report uh, about two weeks ago that said Sean Payton was looking for 20 to $25 million per year. So it looks like he's going to get close to that. Um, Coach salaries, should we make a bigger deal of coach salaries, but since they don't count against the cap, or is it just whatever the I owner give wants the guy to spend? a standing no. You got an agent who can get you that much money? Yeah, go for it. Uh, the Broncos ownership is now Walmart money. Yeah, so that's they don't even miss that much money. It should be mostly irrelevant at this point, but there's Sean Payton's potential pay somewhere in the neighborhood of 17 to $20 million. What I thought was most interesting on the story that Nine News had was sort of the breakdown of what the Saints wanted for Sean Payton. The Saints, according to the story, initially asked the Broncos for two first-round picks and a second-round pick. Broncos said, no, we're not doing that. Their second ask was for a first, second, third, and fourth-round pick from the Denver Broncos. Basically a, hey, you don't get to pick until the draft is over. type of package. Broncos also said no to that and eventually settled on getting a first and a second, but also sending back the third, a third round pick, which leads me to question. Did anybody else want Sean Payton or want him bad enough to trade for him? Maybe at the price they ended up on, but I don't think at those two previous prices, like two ones and a one, two, three, four. And so maybe there were people out there considering the other price, but I don't know how close it got to other teams. It seems like Denver came in and swooped them up. Right. And that's the part that I'm curious about because 
the way this story is reported, it makes it sound like there was not another team that was actually seriously negotiating against. Right. Because the price just plummeted from two ones and a two all the way down to one one, a two, and oh, we've got to send you back. Yeah, give you a third back. So the price just went down, 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 which leads me to believe there was never a, hey, uh, Carolina or hey, Houston is talking to us too, and they might give us two first. So you better keep your price high, Denver. It just sounds like, yeah, the price kept going down, which leads me to this question. Denver should have just waited. Price could have been a second and a third at some point. Could have held on to that first round pick if they had just waited a little bit longer, right? Yeah, unless you're worried another team was going to come in. I mean, who's who's left? I mean, Indy? And they're hiring Jim Ursay. I mean, they're hiring Jeff Saturday. <laughs> Jim Ursay might hire him. Jim Ursay might hire himself. But he might. He might be the coach. <laughs> who's left without a coach? Just the Colts, right? Yeah. Am I forgetting a team? Carolina hired Frank Reich. Houston fire, uh, hired D'Amico Ryan. But does Carolina hire Frank Reich if Peyton's still available? Well, he, he was. They hired him. They were the first time. They hired Reich yeah. before. Yeah, way before. And then Houston hired D'Amico Ryan's uh, six seconds ago. before the Broncos hired right. Peyton. He was their first second choice. <laughs> they went. <laughs> the Woody Page tweet implied Harbaugh was the number one, number one choice. Peyton was the number two, number one choice. They weren't going to get Peyton, so they went to D'Amico Ryan's, the number three, number one choice. Didn't get him, so they went back to the number two, number one choice. <laughs> Which means Peyton was technically also their number four, number one choice. Which you can't really have. It's the first, second, and third, Woody. <laughs> it was great. Great job uh, on how the Broncos coaching search went. Uh, so Sean Payton getting paid a lot and went for a couple of picks. I gave you- him... I mean, like I said, make as much as you can as a coach. Oh, you know, right. someone's going to give you seventy to twenty million to coach for five years each per for five years, and it's I yeah I assume it. it's fully guaranteed. This guy's walking yeah. out of here with a hundred million dollars, yeah, no matter what happens over the course of five years. Just don't commit a crime, basically. Yeah, it's, exactly. It's just don't get in trouble. Here. You'll be fine. Just be a good citizen, and you get a hundred million dollars out at the end of five years. Um, so, Sean Payton. As much as I am sort of critical of the Saints asking for a lot and not getting much, at the end of the day, still got a first-round pick for, yeah. for, for a, a coach, coach. Right. Which they for a coach. Which was not going to coach them anymore. The problem for the Saints, though, is they're still somehow in a terrible salary cap situation. They still have negative cap space. And their coach isn't very good. Unless he gets coached against Let's the Raiders. Let's go the Raiders. Which maybe they can, really request, good. they can request like four games against the Raiders yeah. every year. Might then he's the really good. <laughs> 